0: Embodied safety is about feeling safe enough to be risk aware as opposed to risk averse.
1: Welcome to Real You Real Money, the podcast that will inspire you to love all of who you are and love making big money all at the same time. I'm Ray Dodd, your host and resident money coach, and week in, week out, I'm here to remind you that your feelings and experiences of money have nothing to do with who you are and everything to do with who you've been told you have to be. This podcast is all about powerful conversations that will support you in building a business that reflects who you actually are. This is not a one-size-fits-all style podcast, this is a podcast that celebrates the individual you are and more than that, believes your uniqueness is the key to you making the sort of money you truly want to. Thank you for being here, let's do this thing. So welcome Tammy, who is a very exciting, you're the second person, you were going to be the first, but we've both moved this a few times, the second person to ever do a sort of second guest spot on the podcast. So welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for being for here. Me. Um, so Tamu is a coach for women in business and leadership. But as always, our titles can never encapsulate all that we are in any way and so tamu and i have been talking about doing this podcast episode for ages and the reason that we want to do it is that i, <laughs> I wrote down i was like what tamu and i what are we tamu <laughs> humans. humans humans but like we talk a lot on whatsapp so i was like we're colleagues we' we talk a lot on whatsapp and we i've put that we are each other's hype like money hype person like oh, yeah, we are like we. I like that. It's good, isn't it? We very much like chat a lot daily, pretty much about very. various things to do. We're basically, we're basically <laughs> about our businesses, about our money, about and so much more than that as well. So we wanted to bring our WhatsApp conversations
0: onto the podcast. Some my of lucky it, lucky lot.
1: <laughs> so my first question before we get into that is. I think you're on the podcast. You were one of my first guests, if not my first guest, actually, I think, of the podcast. At least you were my first person I recorded. I'm sure you were. So can you tell us a bit about in the last year or two, how has your business evolved? Like, where are you at now with everything?
0: Oh, my gosh. How (laughs) has it evolved? Um, It's still very much based on group work. I absolutely love group work. It's one of my favourite things to do. I really enjoy one-to-one and I enjoy one-to-one with a particular type of person. Mm. Whereas with group, I love the collective energy. I love yeah. the impact it has on other people. I love the fact that I can borrow energy and I feel like I can reach yeah. energy in the group. So I love yeah. that. So it's still <clears throat> a group coaching model. Over the last two years, I've, I've been more, I wouldn't say proactive, but I've magnetized more corporate work. Yeah. So I've done corporate speaking gigs, workshops, team building away days, mm-hmm. which has been really, really nice. I have moved over from a launch model yeah. to a blended evergreen and launch model mm. because 2022, there's that beautiful quote from Zora Neale Hurston, which says, there are years that ask questions and there are years that answer. Mm. Yeah. And for me, 2021 was asking me when are you going to look after yourself properly Mm. 2022 said listen (laughs) Let me tell you what is needed. Mm -hmm. And I saw a quote on Facebook at the end of 2022 that said something along the lines of your capacity is not the same as your capability. Yeah. And I was like, I'm constantly stretching myself to my capability and not honoring my capacity. Mm -hmm. So at the end of 2022, I realized I'm way more sensitive than I gave myself credit for. Mm -hmm. I'm way more needy than I like to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. And the uh, boom bust cycle of launches And also Mm. what launches create, it doesn't bring out the best in me. I'm a Mm -hmm. high functioning, codependent person in recovery. So I can really pull it out of the bag to support people. But it costs me a lot.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so I realized that relying on launches for my business model just wasn't good for my nervous system. It wasn't the best way I worked. And I realized that I didn't want to have various offers my work yeah. is very integrated and because it's very fundamental foundational and radical i decided i want to i wanted to work in a way where i could encapsulate the whole person so i closed down my sovereign program mm. which was purely life coaching and i started emancipate your business which mm-hmm. is a hybrid life and business coaching program and that evolved into what is now the Thrive, Flourish and Prosper mastermind, because I realized Mm. it wasn't just about emancipating your business from your unmet needs. It was emancipating your business from your unmet needs so you could thrive, flourish and prosper. So I changed it to that. And another reason why I have moved over to a staggered, like a blend of Mm. launching an evergreen, I like launching because I like that intensity and I like the big injection of cash mm. into my business fundamentally. Let's keep it real. Yeah. i here to make money, it's a job. Yeah. <clears throat> but what I observed is a lot of mm. the women I work with, whether they recognize it or not, have high functioning codependent tendencies. Yeah. They identify with being a people pleaser. And what I noticed is when you do a launch and people come in in a cohort, there is an unconscious need for sameness. So progressing mm. at the same rate, people mm. showing up in the group in the same way yeah. and people projecting their needs onto other people and wanting people to fulfill their, their needs. Yeah. And it can create, it can really call forward your inner child. Mm. So lots of kind of flavors of groups of girls in school can yeah. come up. And I manage that well, there's no clicking stuff that goes on, but that kind of thing where we're all the same, we should be doing the same things, Mm -hmm. we should be moving at the same rates, it can create a bit of, and this is a strong word, and I don't mean it as a judgment or a criticism, it's what I've observed, it can create an emotional immaturity where people think equal means being the same. And then Mm. people, rather than focusing on what they're there for, Mm. they can get lost in the collective and absorb what's going on with other people. So they can absorb difficulty that's happening that other people are experiencing and or they can judge themselves when they believe other people are progressing at a rate they, they believe to be faster than theirs. And then there's this sense of community. Mm -hmm. I try not to use that word community so much anymore Mm. because it does unconsciously for many people, especially if you've got people pleasing tendencies Mm. to feel like everybody should be moving at the same pace. Yeah, It becomes an expectation about the way people show up, even though at the beginning of my programs, I create agreements and in the evergreen model. Now I've got content that talks about the difference between agreements and expectations And what I found in an evergreen model where people are coming in whenever they're coming in, Mm -hmm. is that people come in as themselves, for themselves, and they're part of an ecosystem. So they recognize, you know, somebody could be the equivalent of a palm tree. Somebody could be the equivalent of an oak tree. Mm -hmm. And they recognize that they're different, that they're equal and they're different. And there's not that expectation that we should be the same or move at the same pace. Something that used to come up quite a lot was people complaining that people weren't showing up in the group, even though they Mm. weren't showing up in the group. With Mm. an evergreen model, that expectation dissipates, and people are much more likely to state what their needs are, because they know what they're there for, it's revolutionary and for me who has got quite a savior kind of like yeah. archetype within my codependency mm. observing that would make me over function so i'm mm. in the group all the time yeah. i'd be giving pep talks all the time i would almost be like a headmistress telling people mm. like you need to do this you need to do that yeah. that's not coaching that's not what i'm here for carl rogers who is a wonderful psychologist or was, he talks about holding in the therapeutic space, holding your clients in unconditional positive regard. Yeah, I want to hold you in unconditional positive regard in a partnership. I am here to teach you the power of self responsibility. I don't really do accountability coaching, because quite often, unconsciously, accountability Coaching is outsourcing your responsibility to somebody else and expecting somebody to chase you. Yeah. And I find that the more evergreen approach supports that way of working.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It just helps people stay
0: focused on who they are and what they need.
1: That's so interesting because with one of the rounds of my group program, which is now Real You Real Money, but used to be called Plenty More. With one of those rounds, we, I split the income levels. I think it's not five and five and above. And in lots of ways, it worked really well, because my thinking was people would have different, there's different stuff going on at those different levels. And that's true. But actually, I think it created almost more division for people, because A, I think we learn a lot from being in spaces where people are making more than us. And I also... also, from beginners. We forget the power of being a beginner. Exactly. And I... I know that also that can be activating for people. So I was kind of experimenting with trying it like with this separation. And I actually think what ended up happening was a lot of like, so a few people like their income dipped and they were like, should I be leaving the group? Somebody else, their income came up above the 5K a month. And and everyone was like, oh, you'll be graduating as if they were going to a better group, which I didn't love. Like, I just didn't love that messaging for all of them or for that person who, who really loved being in that group. And I think it's super interesting because in some ways by doing that, I was trying to create more safety for my clients. But I actually think this is why, you know, there's a lot of talk about not promising safe groups and stuff and safe spaces, because I think that activation that happens, if you approach it, and obviously my job as the coach to help you approach it this way, and we do put in lots of stuff, but if you approach it with a like a mindset and a a willingness to be like, okay I feel I feel activated here because that person's making more of than me what am I making that mean about me what am I doing with this and this? like you know like it can it that discomfort is not yeah. bad yeah. if we approach it in fact it's not bad point blank yeah the issue is in how we approach it and whether or not we make it I don't like the word productive it sounds really like doing heavy but like whether we make it useful or yeah. not useful
0: yeah and you know um, with that I am um, absolutely with the not um talking about creating safe spaces mm. it's impossible to create a safe completely. space completely i yeah. can't even create a safe space okay my house is generally a safe space but if my front door knocks and i'm not expecting it i do yeah. jump yeah and i think it is much more honest realistic mm. and we can create much more mature agreements and boundaries if we talk about brave spaces yeah. i hold a space where people can be brave and the other thing about this word safety that really really we have to be careful about there's people band around feeling safe feeling unsafe because a we live in a society that capitalizes from us not feeling safe yeah so there's a lot of us that don't even know what it is to feel safe mm. number one number two quite often people talk about feeling safe or unsafe when what they really mean is when they feel vulnerable Yeah, Because we don't have the opportunity to hold space for vulnerability quite often, Mm. people often talk about not feeling safe when the truth is actually we feel vulnerable, we feel a bit exposed. And that's not the same thing. Feeling unsafe is you're at risk of harm. You're yeah. not at risk of harm. You're feeling vulnerable yeah. and you're feeling a bit tender and exposed. Yeah. But with practice over time, what makes us feel vulnerable starts to become normalized. Yeah. So I'm really glad you brought that up. I think those are really important distinctions to make. And what I would also say is that um, people are going to be activated anyway. Yeah. You know, I was in a group when I was doing this course about organic intelligence And there was an older white woman and she started talking about an experience where she, somebody had a word with her because a black woman was offended by her talking about how eloquent the black woman spoke and how eloquent she was. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't understand how wrong that was. Mm -hmm. Now that was, she wasn't activated. She was neutral when she was explaining and she was saying that with doing the work we were doing in that program, she has Mm -hmm. the capacity to hold it yeah now, where I got really activated, I was ready to leave that call mm. because I didn't have experience of the founder who yeah. is a white man, yeah. and I wasn't sure mm-hmm. what was going to come out of his yeah. mouth, and yeah. whether or not, it was going mi- to do something that would cause me harm. But I thought to myself, it's not that you're feeling unsafe right now, mm. you're feeling vulnerable and mm. uncertain. Wait and see before you make a decision that mm. you feel unsafe it was a beautiful experience Mm. and he called her in and helped her look at why that was offensive and how and why white people need to take responsibility and be accountable and all of that kind of stuff but if I had decided immediately I'm going to be unsafe and bounced I would have missed an opportunity for my growth and I would have missed an opportunity to really see what that organization was about Mm -hmm. so um, I think having people at varying stages when you have got a skilled Person holding Mm. the space is valuable because let's keep it 100. We can be activated by absolutely anything, anytime, anywhere, and that is normal. That is what our nervous systems are designed to do. We're not supposed to be living in this utopian paradise where we feel safe all the time. And furthermore, let me just add add something else from a nervous system perspective. Safety, Mm -hmm. embodied safety, is about feeling safe enough to be risk aware as opposed to risk averse absolutely again i one of the top dons in the polyvagal world mm-hmm. talks about feeling safe enough to take the risk of living so what people talk about in terms of feeling oh safe God. it's often the code word for not taking risks yeah. for staying like right inside the comfort zone and it's also a code word for perfectionism
1: okay so i have a question in this Women generally, and people as that I would describe like, and there's no, I don't think there's a particularly good word for this that is often used, but like I always describe as people left out of money-making, like people traditionally left out of that space. A lot of those people, because of various identities, alongside being women or being conditioned as women, are at a greater risk, like you said, like like just generally out and about. I think a lot of the reason that a lot of those people find it hard to then go into businesses and experience even more risk is because their risk capacity is so high already that makes sense do you like not agree it's not that i not ag- it's not
0: that i don't agree because that is definitely a factor however my observation is more about we've been conditioned to be nice
1: but i think we've been conditioned, conditioned to be nice to avoid risk
0: I think that we've been conditioned to be nice to avoid our power. I don't that- think we've been conditioned to be okay. nice to avoid risk. Right. So if you think about, and this is as far as I'm aware from a very European perspective, mm-hmm. but if you, th- if you think about witch trials and people yeah. that were accused of being witches, yeah. there were people yeah. that fully embodied their power from a European perspective, because as far as I have read and learnt, many... The most of the global majority Mm. weren't living in a two tier patriarchal society where men were revered as the head and women were the tail, basically. Yeah, so I think that we've been conditioned to be nice, and that's far more about us not embracing how powerful we are. I think that we have been conditioned, particularly in societies that are best based on western European culture Mm -hmm. you know whiteness and white womanhood is all about being nice it's all about being palatable it's all about being convenient going out there taking risk taking up space saying I've got something that is valuable and I'm charging money for it Mm -hmm. lucky to pay and receive this service yeah it's not about the money it's about what you're you're receiving in exchange yeah that poses a risk to yeah. patriarchy that mm-hmm. poses a risk to particularly late stage capitalism the risk to white right supremacy so yeah. I think our fear is much more based on the conditions that say in order to be a woman you need to be nice
1: yeah and it's yeah. not
0: nice if you say all that and a bag of chips I have created this product this service this whatever mm. it is and it's going to cost you five thousand pounds Yeah that's not nice. Yeah. So I think it's much, much more about that. And also the other thing is I am acutely aware that I am at more risk than the average man. Mm. And yet it's not the thing I have front and center of my mind Mm. all the time. Yeah. And I think that sometimes the, the fear it's not that the fear we have isn't real, but sometimes the fear we have, rather than it being a fear that exists within us or a fear that exists as part of us, mm. we get submerged in that fear because of the conditioning of niceness, yes. because yes. nice conditioning means you don't have boundaries, yeah. because nice conditioning means you don't know what your needs are. And mm. If you don't know what your needs are, you don't know what boundaries you need to have in place. Yeah. So, like, after the Roe v. Wade, the mm. energy was just so, like, dank and heavy. Yeah. And whilst I'm not dismissing how abhorrent... That is, and how inhumane that is. Yeah. There were women in England that were not able to function in their ordinary business because Mm. they had become submerged. They had become at one with it. You cannot be powerful when you're submerged by an issue. And that is because of boundaries. Prentice Hemp Hill says something along the lines of boundaries mean that I can love you and love me at the same time. Something along those lines. Yeah. Boundaries mean that. I can have empathy for you and still be in my power, still be in my majesty. When I'm submerged by the weight of the world, I can't be powerful. My MP knows me. I love to write a good MP letter. Um, I'm not writing an MP letter if I'm submerged in the yes. heaviness, in the darkness, feeling like yep. I'm a really tiny speck when I know I'm a powerful mama jammer. Like it's, it's yeah. not helpful for us. That's not what creates progress. That's mm. not what enables us to move forward and I'm not talking about not feeling feelings, I felt the rage as well. Yes. But part of the function, Tony Morrison, the, 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 the function of racism is, to, is distraction. Distraction, Yeah. They say your head is misshapen, so you spend yeah. time proving that you're not. Yeah. These oppressive structures, whilst they have very real impact, they also are there to distract us from how powerful we are. And when Mm. we're distracted from how powerful we are, we make disempowering choices. We people-please, we become codependent, we Mm. play small, we become so submerged in things like Roe v. Wade was not inside my house. Roe v. Wade has no jurisdiction over my womb. I live in England. If I embody my power, I am much more likely to be able to do something that Mm. will have an impact rather than feeling like I can't function and that yeah. I have the response
1: that like I have personal responsibility mm. for overturning that. And I think in those moments as well, like that's like when we and sometimes we will just fold in on ourselves because we just can't. Yeah. But I think also I love a good fold in. But the idea that it's ethically superior to fold in. And we get a lot of that. Like we I it's never been more. Exactly. We get that online where people go, you haven't posted about this, this isn't this? Or when the war in Ukraine kicked off or when the pandemic kicked off and people have people in their DMs being like, you shouldn't be selling anymore. Like it it is only kind if you stop functioning and stop needing anything or like just you know, being a full human.
0: Like EDF Energy won't still want their money. Like council tax won't still want their money. Like children won't still need to be fed. Come on.
1: Exactly. And it's such a privileged position in the first place to even be able to suggest that. But I think also we have a responsibility in that moment for those of us that can continue to continue for the sake of the ones that in that moment can't.
0: And Ray, sorry to cut you, also you have people that work with you. Mm. I have people that work with me. Whilst I don't employ anybody yet, I have freelancers that work with me. I need to pay them. So it's not just about me oiling my coffers or whatever the saying is. This is an ecosystem. I know, I just think I made that up. But this is an (laughs) ecosystem, right? There are people, I'm not saying these people depend on me, but we have an agreement. I want to honor those agreements. And I also want to be able to meet the rising costs of living as well
1: yeah also and i like the, on a very basic level no one's going into men's dms telling them to stop like and it's it it shouldn't Amen. be Hallelujah. any different like so this is one of the things i really wanted to talk about because there's something that i'm seeing and i feel like we've talked about this is almost like an ethical perfectionism around a lot of this stuff like a very much like this is the like the way to do it which often comes from people who have enough privilege and when i say privilege in this context i mean a partner who's paying some for some of the stuff if not you know enough to cover your bills but when you're in a position to go you know what a war's happening and i'm always want to point out let's be clear that wars have been happening the whole time you've been running your business this was a closer war in, involving white people which i always also want to it felt closer to home for a lot of people but it it's no different and I've definitely fallen into this trap so this is not me saying this from on high at all but finding themselves good generous empathetic humans not fully embodying their businesses not fully doing the things that they want to do not making the money they want to make because they don't know how to do it the correct ethical way is that something what you see? Ethical? Like, <laughs> it doesn't, it's ethical. When I think about, I've
0: said this a number of times, when, you, when I think about the society in which we live, we don't really know what ethical is. And do you know what? No judgment, anything. I'm, ju- I'm literally just stating, we don't know what ethical no. is. We are literally making this up as we go along. And I think that's a really beautiful place to be.
1: But mm. what I
0: find problematic is, In our society, we are conditioned for codependence, Mm. especially as women. We are conditioned to please, to make ourselves convenient, to make ourselves small, Mm. to make ourselves palatable. So I'm often seeing there is a very fine line and sometimes there is no line between what people perceive to be ethical and what people perceive to be people pleasing. people are doing these things so that people say you're a good person yeah so they can feel like they're a good person also they're they're beyond criticism society that says if you are making for for some of us if Mm. you are making good money yeah you are excited about it you're not a nice person you're not a good person because money's a root of all evil yeah a greedy capitalist Mm -hmm. you're the same as Jeff Bezos when that's not the case at all so I think that we have to really start to have some deep, broad and brave conversations about what actually constitutes being ethical. Because let me tell you something. Me, as a single parent, In a Mm -hmm. one income household, Mm -hmm. it is not ethical for me to not be making the amount of money I need to be able to live well. I'm not talking about getting by. I'm not talking about just meeting my needs. I have a right to live well. And me not making that money. So on the outside, people can say I'm altruistic. I'm this, that and the other. That's not serving me, number one. Number two, if you look at the landscape, it's always the people who are making the least that are expected to continue making the least yes. that is why the balance is totally off kilter and if and then within that sector where there are people talking about what we are calling ethical mm. the people who are really talking about that it, the people who are taking up a lot of space talking about that, they do have the comfort of a double income. And it might not be a double income that is enabling them to go on holidays to Capri every two minutes mm-hmm. or wherever. Yeah, yeah. But I know that if I don't create a certain amount of money, yeah. my bills won't get paid. Yes. I know that if I don't create a certain amount of money, I'm not going to be able to pay for the things I need to be well. Mm-hmm. And I'll say it again I am in this to live well. I am not in this to be living on the breadline. If I was employed, I would be looking for a job that pays me well so that I can live a lifestyle that feels good to me. And I don't see why that should change because I am now a business owner. I had an event which included me hiring a venue. I was very clear there were no refunds. If you can't come, you can exchange your ticket with somebody else. Mm -hmm. You can sell your ticket. Just let me know what you're doing. That's absolutely fine for whatever reason, somebody couldn't come and they asked me for a refund. Mm. And I was like, would you book a ticket for a Beyonce concert? Yeah. And then because something happened and you couldn't come, would you be emailing Beyonce and yeah. asking for a refund? You wouldn't. So I'm yeah. just like, treat, treat, treat business people like business people. Yes, Don't take the mickey. I've also had, I've, and, and one of the things, I'm bouncing around a little bit, but it's just like, it's just always <laughs> Go here. for it. I offer things where I can, like once or twice a year, which is not pay what you can afford, but like I did something which was 55 pounds. It was an online thing. It was 55 pounds for the workshop, five pounds, 55, if you were on a low income. Mm. And I did that because I know that doing things for free, it creates a lot of resentment within me. So I just don't bother doing that. And, um, Calling anybody out, I promise I'm not calling anybody out. I'm talking about the impact it had on me Mm. and I'm allowed to have feelings. Mm. It didn't feel good for me knowing that there were people that booked the £5.55 but had they have an income. Mm. They have a husband or partner at home that's having an income, and they were talking about what holiday they were going on. Mm. That didn't feel Mm. good for me. So I just think to myself, I, I can't qualify people. I wouldn't go around asking people to send no. their bank statements to see if they qualify. Yeah. But I have to be really careful about how I do it because resentment doesn't feel good. And then I'm not serving yes. from a pure place. And I always have to come from, am I making what I need to make? Am I making thriving money? I'm mm. making flourishing money if yeah. I'm not making thriving and flourishing money I can't because otherwise I'm taking away from myself to give yeah so in essence I'm exploiting myself to appear yeah. to be ethical that's not ethical. Yeah.
1: absolutely and it's really interesting as you're talking it makes me see the way that we've gone through so much over the last few years in terms of like for a lot of people, awakening to things that many people knew for a long time beforehand, but for a lot of people, like really waking up to certain things and like race stuff, but also the Me Too movement and all sort like just so many, there's so much more talk about trans rights and LGBT, LGBTQ stuff, like so much, and it's all so like needed. Yeah. But I think one of the knee-jerk reactions has been to like these broad strokes of ethics that actually end up I don't know if dehumanising is too strong a word, but taking out individual situations. Why does ethics always mean... charging Charging less i know i just was like making less money Why
0: is that always the ethical
1: i think it comes down to the champagne socialist kind of idea like that very problematic to me like you know we talk about money myths and sayings champagne socialist is one of the most problematic phrases starving artist champagne socialist yeah very similar super problematic and it's why actually i'm pretty sure it's right throughout history we've mostly had right-wing governments in the uk like we've had more right wing than left wing and i think a lot of it particularly in the you know last 100 years or so it's because they have more money they have more money they have which more wealthy people which gives you access and gives you power and influence yeah. so yeah i i think it's really interesting the way that like cuz i was going to say earlier one of the things that i have talked about for a really long time when it comes to pricing is conflating this idea that lower prices are kinder of prices mm-hmm. is so problematic but even if like sometimes what people then say is well, but i am in a position when i could charge that that like a smaller amount so well that's lovely but what you're doing is undercutting somebody who can't afford that and you are lowering the market value and because yep. more women and i'm massively generalizing but there will be more women in positions where they have a partner who's making money than they are we know that's a Problem for a lot of people. We know there's a wage gap, all of that stuff, online and corp- corporate wage gaps, entrepreneurial wage gaps, I should say. Yeah. Like we know that's an issue.
0: Yeah. And there's so much more research done in America about these mm. things, but, you know, America isn't that far off us culturally. And I think it's really important, if in doubt, check it out, like get some yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, according to a survey, by the American Psychological Association, 72% of Americans were stressed about money at some point in March last year, 2022. And the most financially anxious group of that cohort included women, unmarried people and people of colour.
1: Yeah, makes
0: perfect sense. We need to get absolutely real. And I want to read, obviously, I've got all of these statistics all over the place. But I'm also referring now to a report by the Office of National Statistics over here. I can't re- so this was it. So the median total wealth for all households in Great Britain was 28,000, no, 286,600 yeah. pounds between April 2016 and March 2018, 18, with medians ranging from 34,000 among those with a household head from the black african group so the median for great britain was 286600 pounds but for families with an africa a black african head of household the median wealth was 34000 and of and it says here households with a white british head were approximately nine times as likely to be in the not- top nine quintile of total wealth So wealth above 865,000 as those of a Black African ethnicity Mm. and 18 times as likely as those of a Bangladeshi ethnicity. So when we're looking at these things, we can't just have these arbitrary statements and figures out of nowhere Mm. and we can't just follow what somebody we like or know or have seen Mm -hmm. on social media or somebody has shared from social media. Yeah, someone's carousel. Right? (laughs) I, I'm a. if I look at those statistics, mm-hmm. right, I am an African head yeah. of my household, right? Yeah. Yeah. I am a woman. I am yeah. an unmarried person. Mm. I fit into so many of those mm-hmm. categories. Mm. And furthermore, Ray, this is pure emotion. Emotions aren't fact, but they're real. Yeah. As a black person, I'm like, I didn't create this capitalism system. Capitalism is still on my neck. And when you do your research, capitalism, the system of capitalism is born of the transatlantic slave trade. Yes. I have never benefited of any of that. And in fact, the HM Treasury were foolish enough and detached enough to share a statistic that in 2015, we finished paying the debt that was owed for yes. reparations to slave owners via our tax. So not only has this system of capitalism You've been that for supported me, yeah. my tax was used yeah. to pay reparations yeah. to people who owned my ancestors yeah. and treated my ancestors abhorrently. Yeah. So I will not be partaking in anything where I am internalizing mm. messages from the oppressive system mm-hmm. that says I am less. I am worthless. I cannot command as much. In fact, if I'm thinking about it from pure emotion, I should be charging way more, way, way more. Yeah. Let me take the emotion out of it. (laughs) My stuff, that is my like inner wounds. When I really think about it, I have a right. I am entitled to charge prices that are commensurate to the value I offer. Yeah. And my work, similar to yours, Ray, it doesn't stay in the Zoom call. No. If you no. are integrating and implementing mm. what I teach, what I hold space for, what I coach with, mm. it evolves with you. Yeah. When people have finished working with me, a lot of people would say things like, my life is forever changed, etc. Yeah. That is priceless.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not gonna
0: mug myself off no. to look good for what metrics I don't know.
1: You know what it speaks to as well. It really speaks to self trust. Like you, a lot of what you're talking about is like, what do I need? What do yeah. I think? What is my experience? And, and what are, are and what are my emotions? Because yeah. those emotions are incredibly valid that you yeah. just described. And actually, we could do with a lot more emotion being brought into these situations rather than it being clinical. And this is this is this, and this is just the way things are. Like we need to bring that that hurt that frustration that desire all of those different feelings and be like no this is this is what I want and this is what I what feels good to me as a person and, and I do reparenting. yes yeah because absolutely. we
0: have been taught in so many different ways to abandon ourselves yeah and abandon what we need yeah and that is what I would be doing for example yeah. if I went down a road of okay oh, whatever you feel like or, yeah I'm not charging the prices that I think are commensurate to what I offer. Yeah. And as, as women, regardless of your racial background, yeah. one of the conditions of womanhood has been abandoning your needs. Yes. And we've been doing it for so long, many of the women that come to work with me don't really have an embodied sense of how they feel. Mm. Because what they've done yeah. over years is learn how to suppress how they feel. Yeah, desire so, and you know, needs. needs no I don't have like it's been a a badge of honor I don't have needs yeah and when we do that we are continuing that pattern of abandonment and we are activating that abandonment wound yeah and when you can say do you know what I'm going to give voice to how I'm feeling even if it's stuff that I would never share publicly because it just sounds too bad I'm going to give that space yeah as a parent you know, we give our children space to express themselves and allow, well, technically we should, I know there's a lot of, oh no, that's not kind to say this kind of thing, but I think we should allow our Mm. inner children and our children, if you're a parent, to rage and have the tantrum and get what they really want to say, rather than keeping that on the inside, because then that becomes a wound that's just yes. harming you over and over again and then you start to engage in a non-consensual relationship with shame and that yes. becomes your barometer and guide for everything yeah. I'm not down with that so I give my stuff a voice and mm. inside there I find potent stuff that needs attention yeah oh, I'm like come on love this isn't even about that this is about what happened in year mm. three with Jody and and, and Cheryl always <laughs> so <Like, is> Jody. <laughs> Always, always so are you gonna <laughs> let that situation with Jodie come into the present yeah. or are you going to be present what is with what is alive here and now mm. and that is when we're able to be you know I love the word sovereign I had a group coaching program called sovereign but that is when we allow ourselves to be in our sovereignty and I'm not talking about light spirituality I'm talking about being the sovereign yeah the head of your state and polyvagal yeah. theory teaches us that your story follows your state. So if you mm. are creating a physical state of self-trust, self-belief, high self-worth, mm. the story you tell about yourself will flow from that state. Yeah. And then you will be able to take the actions that are
1: in alignment with that. Love that. I have one last question because we're running out of time. Oh, what? I, I know. know just got started. I know, I know. Maybe we need to do another one of these straight Absolutely. away. But I was wondering, I would like you to tell us, why? And I. This is a should, but I'm. I can't think of a better way to phrase it. So we're going to do it. Why should we be unashamed about making big money?
0: In my mind, I'm just like, why not? <laughs> like, let's keep it exactly. simple. Exactly. The reason we are conditioned to be ashamed of making big money mm-hmm. is so that people who are making big money can continue be making big money at our expense. Hmm. Like if you if if you go way back in time, like this comes from like feudalism and servic- servitude or serfs or whatever you mm, call Yeah, yes. Uh, where, you know, yeah. yes, feudalism and serfs. Yeah. So very few people held the power. Yeah. But that is very hierarchical. Mm. If there are more people making big money, there are more people making big money and there's more big money going around and it becomes more circular. And I'm not, lots of people think, oh, that's the way we used to excuse and justify things. Like it was a really coachy thing. People say, oh, I can give Mm. to charity. I'm not talking about justifying and giving to charity. If I am making big money, I'm Mm. paying my employees a big salary, which is including big benefits, which means they're able to take care of their people better. It means that I'm going to shop You know, unfortunately for us, anything that's ethical anything that's sustainable anything that's going to cause less harm to our planet comes at a premium so I'm going yeah. to have big money to be able to afford that rather mm. than driving my car that I have at the moment I will yeah. be able to afford a hybrid car I wouldn't get any electric yes. yet, because I don't think we have the infrastructure for it so making mm. big money means yeah it's better for all of us we can make yeah. more empowered choices and because of the relationship we have with money and this is just how it is Many of us feel way more empowered when we're Mm. making more money because we have more access to things, because we're living a better quality of life. And from that place, we can start making much more powerful choices. Mm. I always think about the nervous system. When we don't have enough money to meet our needs, we are automatically in an autonomic state of survival. You cannot make powerful choices, you cannot make life expanding choices from a nervous system that is set to feeling unsafe because you don't have enough money to meet your needs. When you are making enough money to meet your needs, you're much more able to take up space within the ventral part of your nervous system, which is about safety, belonging and connection. And that is when our self-care automatically evolves into social care and that social care automatically evolves into social justice. Yeah. And that combination of self-care that creates space for social care, that creates space for social justice, creates Mm. a system of care and that is why we need to earn more money yes that's simple
1: and you said that to me because i said oh tamu i'm this is one of our whatsapp conversations like i'm always so paranoid that i'm teaching trickle-down economics and you were like "Mm -mm, it's redistribution it's not Mm trickle-down it's redistribution like i love the businesses that that pay their all of their team if you heard of these businesses there's a few of them they pay their whole team yeah yeah. 75k yeah like and that's everybody. How awesome is that? And My I love goodness. the lack of hierarchy. I I might, as the like CEO, I might want like a little bit more because of the risk elements potentially. But really, I would be so I would have no issue with that whatsoever. You would have awesome. a bum
0: ass pension, yeah. And you know what? <clears throat> when Nicola and I were doing this event, Wellness is Wealth, we built into the pricing self-care so that we mm. had enough money to get a yep. massage afterwards because yeah. delivering, I would really love to create employment because mm. well-being will be one of my primary values yeah within the business yeah And I would love to be able to offer people well-being, whether it's vouchers or there's a budget for them to go and do stuff that is for their well-being. Totally. Because that is how I create not just a caring economy, a caring environment, a caring workplace.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Love it, love it. Shall we do part two? Absolutely. All right, we're going to book that in. So I'm not going to ask Tammy the ending questions because we'll do that at the end of the other part because I think we should definitely carry on. (laughs) 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 Just regular becomes the Tammy and Ray podcast. Thank you so much. Like this is like such meaty stuff for people to just sit with, and I really encourage you if you're listening to listen again to really sit with what you've heard. And I'd love, and I'm sure Tammy would be the same. Like, let us know like your thoughts. Feel free to certainly DM me. I won't say it on Tammy's behalf, but certainly DM me and let me know like how you found the episode, what you thought, all of that stuff. Because I know that these are some big conversations, and I know that the two of us have more. That we want to say. It's so much more. Literally. Thank you. Can you let people know where they can find you?
0: Yeah, the best place to find me is Instagram. I keep saying, oh, I want to move away from Instagram, but it's the, it's the it. community center. So I'm at Instagram at Lyft360, L I B E T H R E S I X T Y. And head over to the link in my bio and sign up for my newsletter because I share all kinds of goodness over there. Love that.
1: Thank you so much for being here. And
0: thank you everyone for listening.